0: Hello, Professor Ceceš Kecmanovic. It's uh, a pleasure having you. Welcome to the Siegfried Podcast. And I'm very happy that you accepted to be our uh, guest and to share your uh, ideas and your work behind the published work on philosophy and aspects of uh, different philosophical streams as we are, let's say, um, having an ideas and we are talking with scholars that have large experience in this domain, I will just first like to ask you, what is your experience? How did you historically got involved in, let's say, uh, philosophical ideas and philosophical uh, influence? Was it your PhD? Was it uh, afterwards? Was it your work? Just to share it so younger scholars can recognize how people that make an impact, how they started. Uh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to participate in your podcast and uh, to be in the company of other esteemed colleagues. Um, and you can also call me Dubravka. I'm mm-hmm. you know, perfectly happy um, because we are both from the same, originally the same country. You so, can yeah. obviously <laughs> pronounce my name, which, yeah. which most people can't, but you are welcome to call me Thank you. Okay, let's start uh, with that background. I'm not sure how much it is interesting, but um, I just like to say that philosophy was more my hobby. Um, uh, I did study philosophy in high school. We had uh, the whole year of uh, philosophy in, in the last year of the high school. We also had sociology, in, um, in year, what will be here, year, year 11 in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, psychology. So we had, uh, you know, uh, uh, quite uh, broad as you, I'm sure you, 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 you have experienced yourself, quite broad education. Yeah. And while I did complete PhD, I did complete first uh, uh, electrical engineering as my undergraduate study. I did not lose the the link uh, with sociology and philosophy because I was, first of all, uh, during the the engineering studies, uh, electrical engineering studies, in every year we had one subject either in philosophy or sociology, uh, which provided us some updates on, you know, in modern uh, approaches and, and uh, philosophical um, and sociological thought. So um, there were very interesting things going on in our former country, in former Yugoslavia, where there was, uh, you know, very very advanced uh, philosophical uh, group, especially in Zagreb, around praxis, and they attracted people from the east and the west um, to to come, and that there was famous cultural school. It is still mentioned in some writings, uh, in the philosophical writings. So there were a lot of uh, prompt, a lot of motivation for me to to, to stay very much uh, informed and uh, 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 to follow what is going on, you know, in my country and beyond. So after I um, uh, graduated, uh, I. Um, I was employed at the electrical engineering and soon we developed, uh, originated a department, new department of informatics, which was among the first uh, in Yugoslavia. Well, it was the first in Yugoslavia, among among the first in Europe. And uh, I was responsible for information systems and and that happened in 1973, so pretty early on. Uh, So we had... um, three uh, components of that department. There was one which was more focused on computer technology and hardware, Mm -hmm. on software and on information systems. And and I was responsible for that for the last. So um, I I kept my um, interest in philosophy while really doing what you would call now software engineering style of research. It was more to do with developing software but software that was intended to be uh, useful or to be applied in organizations. So I was on the software engineering side of IS at the time. Uh, And how it, I will just tell you briefly how it happened that I started thinking of using a particular theory in my my software development research. I was uh, doing a project on an information system in a, in a manufacturing company. It was actually a furniture company in the uh, at the outskirts of Sarajevo, and um, and while working on that project with colleagues, it was a team um, working there. It just occurred to me that I could actually use the theory of Jurgen Habermas, who especially his theory of communicative action, as you know. Yeah. Uh, in, um, uh, it was um, it was first in German but then it, it was uh, translated you know yeah. uh, in, in English and, and also in server creation at, at some point. And um, it really happened in the, in the 80s that uh, I realized that you know the, the types of systems that we are developing are supporting, mostly strategic action which was which was a realization yep. you know that it has very limited um, scope yep. because it was only intended to uh, to uh, draw from so-called uh, um, uh, objective world and uh, provide support for best actions, that will achieve a particular goal, a partic- yeah, yeah, yeah. particular objective. So there was no issues of social world whether it is right or wrong, uh, whether you know it is uh, uh, something that would be acceptable, you know, to the majority of people. We worked mostly with um, with management, you know, although yeah. this was a socialist system and you know self-management Yugoslav system, but that was. Primarily, you know, the the system that that supported, you know, strategic action. Yeah. Um, later on, we also started to develop components which are, which are which were more decision support components, which you might say uh, have already contributed to some normatively regulated action, uh, and and perhaps to some. Um, very small way, uh, communicative action. Yeah. So I realized that, that by using Habermas's theory, I could better understand what we are doing. And also perhaps even critiquing our own work and understand, you know, uh, asking the questions, is it the right purpose of the system? You know, yeah. although this was uh, completely according to the current thinking at the time, of what this information system is and what they should be. So yeah. that was the first time that that it occurred to me. And I didn't read at the time papers that are talking about the, the usage of Habermas. And they were already words by Heinz Klein, uh, late Heinz Klein, uh, uh, by his PhD student, Keller Lietemann, Ojelanki, uh, 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 also his PhD student, um, Uh, Baskerville and so on so that was that was the the entry point if if you want Uh, for me it was coming from the hobby you know my hobby turned out to be wonderfully useful in what I was doing yeah and uh yeah i don't know we probably don't have, no, we, have time. we have
0: we have su- sufficient time but that that what i recognize that then you explore it by your hobby you explore it by reading papers uh, books uh taking in in cameras and dwelling more in his ideas it's not like that you had formal training or understanding about habermas yeah
1: yeah no i did not get any formal training in that regard but i was um I really read uh, Habermas's first volume, because at the time it was the only one that was translated to English, um, of the theory of communicative action. And, uh, and I brought that book when I came to Australia, you know, uh, afterwards. It, it went through the war zone uh, <laughs> to, to come here. Yeah. Um, I really studied that very carefully. And I read certain passages more than once in order to fully understand you know, the background, the assumptions, what Habermas is talking about. And I can tell you well, I, I, I don't know whether this may sound immodest, mm-hmm. but I found that many people who wrote about Habermas did not really understand his um, uh, uh, notion, of world they, notion of the worlds, because these notions of the worlds are essential to understand yeah. his uh, theory of communicative action. Uh, The the objective world, the social world, and the subjective world. Unfortunately, he called this world, the first world, objective world. But he didn't mean the world that is actually objectively existing. No. His definition of the objective world is the world about which we claim something exists. Something is. This is our claim about the world that it exists. It's not about that it exists objectively.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so this is where a lot of people got completely, you know, mistaken, believing that Habermas is talking about the objective world, objective, and and he is not. Yeah. Well, the same. Well, the social world is is the world about which we say that something is right or wrong, or legitimate, yeah. or legit, illegitimate, and so on. so. Uh, I. <laughs> I think that this is very important to, 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 um, to convey that one, in order to understand anybody's philosophy, you really have to go uh, deeper into it, deeper into and, and read very carefully. Yeah. And 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 read, you know, um, even and also read other people's uh, reflections on, or usage of that theory and have your own opinion about it. And this is, how I you know developed my understanding by reading very broadly
0: and this is something which actually emerges very often when you talk with the younger people is that well well, you know these big books are quite un-understandable they're written uh, uh, with a certain language that is hard to understand and a lot of people say I misunderstand it or something like that but when I hear you, is actually, that is a normal process. You read it once, you reread some passages, you read what other people thought, uh, think about this, uh, these ideas, and then you actually try to understand it. So it's not like that if you are a younger scholar and you start reading and you don't understand it, that is because only you do not understand. But that is generally because through that yes. continuous reading, people develop understandings and then they uh, debated i always say that these people published uh, books not journals to achieve that <laughs> not journal articles because in journal articles you have to specify everything to mm-hmm. justify but this is what i wanted to 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 so let's say which i what i hear from you and how it actually moved forward then it you, how, how did you, because you, in your work, I see that you are also having other streams of philosophical thinking. How did you actually pro- proceed in, let's say, a, from deep understanding of Habermas and uh, communicative action to the other, let's say, uh, streams of philosophy, which are related and some are more not related to it, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I uh, used, um, uh, Habermas's theory of communicative action in in various empirical studies. I worked with my colleague uh, Marius Janssen, and we studied Colorado comp- company in Belgium for a long time. Uh, as a very interesting company that uh, that adopted um, uh, technology, information technology in very innovative way, mm-hmm. and that was very unusual company. They uh, their idea is that they had to support. Uh, workers in their uh, uh, not only their work but in their participation in the company's decision making, mm-hmm. which was really very interesting and very original. And you know, the company succeeded in the in the middle of the capitalist Europe with most, I would say, socialist ideas <laughs> uh, behind it, which yeah. is quite interesting. And they, we found they examples of all kinds of systems that are. Really supporting communicative rationality, as, as you know, yeah. uh, uh, Habermas's key contribution to the debate on rationality is uh, uh, to say that we are not doomed, you know, to, to live with yeah. the strategic and instrumental rationality. There is a potential which has been shown in the history of mankind that it is real. Uh, for us to, to, uh, to, to adopt, to apply, and to live through uh, communicative rationality. And I became very persuaded with that. And I'm still, you know, in some of my research projects, I'm, I'm using the, the, the whole idea of communicative rationality and have what it means in the broader social context. But I'll come to that later. Yeah. Uh, you I want to ask to answer your question um, so uh, i i studied obviously other you know uh, other philosophers i didn't i wasn't just stuck you know with the, with one <laughs> i um, uh, I considered myself at a time for example when when I studied algorithmmas um, and other critical, uh, uh, philosophers, critical social thinkers from Frankfurt School and beyond, I considered myself like as uh, being a social constructivist, you know, I thought, you know, that um, uh, technological determinism is is um, cannot actually explain what is going on and how we adopt technology yep. and what we do with techn- technology uh, is you how we use technology in our everyday lives and organizations and society. And uh, And then, uh, and I was also very much well informed with the socio-technical systems theory.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, uh, being uh, well from electrical engineering, we were we we got a lot of education in systems theory, broader systems theory, uh, and uh, and socio-technical system theory was very appealing for us and very important. But there were also brands, you know, of that theory or. Uh, like Mumford's work on, yep. you know, ethics and you yep. know, uh, and and uh, also the critical systems thinking. So so there was this uh, little marriage between the critical thinking and the systems theory, okay. which was very beneficial and and hugely important at the time. This is the 90s. But then in I think it was 1996 that uh, when I ended, Mumford wrote a very uh, well a provoking uh, uh, article in uh, Information System Journal uh, saying, uh, I think it was 96, it was actually posthumously uh, published, um, that uh, the the ideas of of, uh, emancipation and emancipatory use of technology were pretty much buried uh, given the rise, the particular development of capitalism at the time, and the, the the demise of the worker and the you know working capital, and the rise of financial capital as the key important factor in organizations. Yes. so so she was not uh, very pessimistic about the future of the you know critical stream, especially no. of socio technical system. So there was. Um, um, there was a lot of uh, uh, turbulence, if you want, at the time. There was postmodernism uh, yeah. rising of postmodernism, and the critique of of the critical as a humanist uh, yeah. uh, worldview, which I was I must say I was not. I I read about it a lot. Yeah. I read about what's going on in management studies, but I was not attracted by post humanist uh, um, uh, nihilism if you want. Yeah. Uh, the only thinker that that uh, 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 draw my attention was Foucault and I uh, did uh, study his work and found a lot of the criticism that Foucault has made about the subject and you know the, 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 the performing of the subject. I, I found that and, and and the non-existence of autonomous subject that critical yeah. theory assumed, yeah. I found that justified and in in many ways useful for, you know, for understanding, let's say now social media and, and new yeah. technology. Uh, I just to, to to make a bit of a leap in time. Um, uh, I have a PhD student um, uh, Maria George uh, currently, and she in in her. First paper, she is actually using Habermas and Foucault together. In uh, in in a well, pretty much we came together with that I- to, with that idea to explain um, the the use of an uh, algorithmic system by the government, by Australian government uh, that is called Robodebt. I don't know whether you heard of it. Yeah. It it got quite. Famous in the world, but infamous really, mm-hmm. not famous, yes. uh, because it was a system uh, uh, in um, in a welfare uh, domain. Mm-hmm. So instead of uh, people working with the welfare recipients, the system was introduced, who determined uh, in not only in the present but in the past, uh, if the uh, 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 so recipients of the social Uh, security payments uh, 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 were um, uh, 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 lying about their income.
0: Manipulating their income.
1: Manipulating, yes. They combined, they actually made a fundamental mistake in developing the algorithm, and this was eventually revealed and proved in court. But the system worked uh, for six years, and they were all sorts of uh, negative implications for the people because they will accuse people of owing that huge amount of money and so on. So it was the system, it was clear example of the system using technology to to, uh, uh, to exercise power over the citizens without citizens having an opportunity to even object to what the system is saying. And yeah. so we are we are using the theory of um, life colonization by Habermas, yeah. and uh, uh, and and also um, we are using Foucauldian uh, 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 power knowledge nexus, and we are now extending it with power knowledge technology nexus, yeah. to exercise power. Yeah. So we are saying you know there is this. Broader view of um, uh, uh, life world colonization, so complete systems, uh, you know, uh, instrumentality in place, uh, ignoring of you know life world needs and uh, cultural reproduction, social re- reproduction, social integration, you know, yeah. citizens, and and how and we explain with Foucault how it is done. It, yeah. Using yeah. Hebraicist theory, you can't explain how this is done. You can only diagnose yeah. that this is done. This you know.
0: happened, yeah.
1: Yes, but you cannot explain using the Foucauldian theory. We now explain. So we now put together that that uh, to, although this may look uh, a bit difficult, given different assumptions that both of them are using. But so but, that's a, one example of how you know uh, I because there was a need to go beyond Habermas, you know, I I extended it, we extended it, you know. But
0: but this is a nice example of how actually the, let's say, the high level uh, ideas that are very often presented in these, let's say, major philosophical works actually are, let's say, uh, translated to empirical uh, phenomena and it shows that if you have understanding of certain philosophical ideas, you can recognize how they are, let's say, shortcomings when need to be applied to empirical events. But that, from your example, that not not limits you to blindly follow only that part, and then you can combine it with other thought or combine it to something different to explore to better explore the empirical uh, uh, event and actually provide a better understanding. And I just want to show that this this is one way which younger scholars can actually uh, apply. They can find it and translate it uh, uh, to actually research an uh, empirical uh, phenomena that is happening and it's not really understood how, how, how to be shown. Do you think that before you do that, you need to have much more in depth of uh, under philosophical understanding or more, let's say, shallow, more, uh, uh, but wider, let's say, more pluralistic uh, understanding. And this is connected to my other question is with the time you need to understand it.
1: Mm. Um, as a young inexperienced scholar, you might not have sufficient um, you know, background in different philosophical opportunities what you can apply. Yeah. This is where young scholars need mentors, you know, if you're a PhD student, obviously you work with your supervisors. And uh, this is how I work with my PhD students. Not that I tell them, you know, you have to use this or that, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: uh, when we look into, first of all, what their interests are, and when we get finally, you know, into an empirical example, and then we say, what is it, what are the problems here that, that we need to address, and what can help us? And then I I typically give students a few options and tell them, what about this? Or, you know, what about yeah. you know, Habermas's this theory? What about Foucaultian? And then I I ask students to actually study it, yeah. further and study it by reading original works, by reading what others have wrote. And uh, I was lucky, you know, with I really got excellent students mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. and you know they they just you know uh, uh, for example uh, my current students are uh, uh, really exploring very different uh, philosophers uh, yeah. because yes. of their personal interests but they also go very deeper into yeah. whatever they and some of them in s- some aspects of philosophy that i haven't studied before yeah. so yeah. it's 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 a process of learning which never stops you know you, you you learn from your mentor but as a mentor you learn from your student as sure. well you know so it's a it's a process of learning and learning from others and growing with your ideas questioning your ideas questioning the 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 outcomes that you get through application of certain philosophies and so on it's um yes never ending but you know but exciting you- journey
0: but do you think is what I, for example, if you want to read uh, volume one of Habermas, it's I, I yeah. think seven hundred pages, something like that. I think six. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I check it in my room, <laughs> and then the second volume the same.
0: Yeah. So yeah. You just read them. It takes time and uh why i'm uh, where i'm directing this talk is that for example also you know in your phd students to get their PhDs, they need to publish papers and mm-hmm. then when you get your phd it just starts you need to get your promotion to a professorship you need to write papers and my sometimes when i talk with people they say okay but uh, stick to the guns that bring results so actually mm-hmm. you can uh you can say I do this from uh, communicative action or I take uh, power aspects of Foucault or I don't know, I take uh, social materiality or critical realism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what what is your opinion, how to, let's say, to be able to engage more in philosophical readings and understandings, but also to meet the needs to publish in, uh, let's say, uh, very often uh, in high-quality uh, journals. What, what, what is You have experience, you have been publishing those journals, you have been editor in those journals, you have actually PhD students, you're working with them. So you, you know both worlds in a way. So
1: what, what, what,
0: is, what is your opinion how a, a younger scholar can juggle the idea to get philosophically grounded work and Hmm. publish it uh, because it needs time to understand that and to publish uh, uh, in journals. Hmm. Um,
1: There are several aspects of, um, you know, uh, of of the answer to your question. Hmm. One is first um, uh, PhD training. Uh, My view is that uh, PhD training should include uh, at least one subject, one course, which would be devoted to the, you know, difficult, different um, uh, philosophical thoughts and uh, 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 approaches, different approaches to research, to social science research in IS. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking, we are talking information. Like yes. So, um, for example, in um in UNSW in in business school that where I am, uh, we have um, uh, in in information systems, we say theoretical foundations of information systems as among the first courses, among the first courses that students have to take and I introduce that course. Um, Then we have also introduction to uh, uh qualitative research methods and, introdu- and advanced qualitative research methods apart from quantitative research methods so uh students get plenty of opportunities to uh to read and to read a lot yeah. uh, 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 not only information systems but uh, you know organization studies management sociology psychology um uh, and uh, philosophy as okay. well so so that's one one aspect one element yeah. so it, uh, it's it's uh, education yeah
0: uh
1: the second element is mentoring uh that you help students in um, uh, well reading the appropriate material you know and yeah. selecting and not not getting lost although sometimes it's very useful to get lost uh, but they don't always have the luxury of, uh, of time to get lost yeah. in, in the readings. And to help them, you know, uh, read key texts, uh, even even the sections, when you are mentioning Cabermas's yeah. <laughs> uh, two volumes, even the sections of these volumes, because, you know, some of them are important for, for certain parts of his theory. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, uh, Foucauldian books, for that matter, you know, uh, because, you know, he has very different, he, he does not have unifying theory. He has very yeah. different theories. Yeah. So depending yeah. what you really want want to focus on. So uh, also, some materiality, well, I can, I have very clear views on that. We can talk about that if later yeah. on. Uh, so I think that there there are ways of um I would say being economical with time yeah. and having a clear uh, uh, objective in mind, which is that student has to complete a PhD yeah. within four years, uh, that it is it is actually achievable, it is yeah. feasible, that the student gets broad education but also applies some something selective, you know, to his or her concrete. Uh, topic for concrete papers that he or she is doing, and I have, you know, I have shown it in
0: in some way with my PhD students. That is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. How, how how do you uh, one one thing uh, which I before we could uh, move to the present and discussions about uh, the current phys- philosophical streams is my idea is how you actually uh, wh- what is your experience on presenting your philosophical ideas in your papers like for example you wrote about this um, you're writing about australian information medical information system welfare information system and now you need to because you use um, uh, philosophical ground to actually look on this uh, uh, this uh, situation how how what 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 is your experience how you present your philosophical uh, let's say uh, ideas or approaches in these papers do you go criti- uh, and say okay i explain now what is uh, communicative uh, action or nexus of uh, power and technolo- technology uh, uh, power or you actually assume that people know about that so you just to put two three references or you hide it completely so implicitly people can say, okay, I assume because reviewers might be not supportive to that uh, philosophical stream. So what is your uh, experience in this? How you, ref- how you, from your ideas, how you put on that on paper and, and present it to the...
1: That's a, that's a, a very you know, important question and, and always a tricky question for every author. How much? it's it's not the question whether it's the question how much of the philosophical uh thought that you are you drawing from and it may be very broad how much you present in any particular paper and that's always the 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 the, but you have to make a balance between the the main body of where you make a contribution by using that particular theory to to explain phenomena you know Uh, and and to, to to provide the basics uh, of the of the philosophical uh, theory uh, or philosophical foundation that you are using, and yeah. that's always a tricky question, but it's absolutely necessary because you cannot assume that uh, the readers, the reviewers, the readers would know, and uh, it is also important to present. Because it's always your interpretation,
0: yep.
1: you know, of that theory. So um, uh, I tended to um, always to present some fundamentals, uh, like in Habermas. Well I'm, well, I'm going back to Habermas, uh, like the notion of the worlds and the notion of the ref- that in every utterance, in every linguistic acts, we are referring to the world, at least objective world, yep. but also sometimes to the, you know, uh, social and subjective. So, um, and which determines what type of actions we are actually taking. So, and the, the notions of rationality, I, I wrote also a paper on, on on using the technology to advance rationality in organizations. Yep. And I'm actually coming back now to, to the questions of rationality with the, you know, uh, uh, business analytics, artificial intelligence, work automation, and all this—you know—the uh, of digitization. Uh, and so, r- rationalization in society and in organization is becoming a big topic now. So, in that sense, Habermas is becoming very actual again. Uh, so, you—you—you you, you have to really explain these important elements for somebody to understand what it means that you say that an an action through an is is instrumental action or strategic or communicative action. I'll give you an example of the recent um, uh, uh, paper that's in the making, uh, actually actually just before being submitted by my PhD student, um, uh, Julian Presta, um, uh, we have three PhD students working on a grant that yeah. uh, is about digital nomadism. And, uh, and, and uh, this student, and this is with my colleague Daniel schleiwein from Sydney University. And this student is, um, uh, and with other colleagues as well. This student is looking into, for example, um, digital nomad's identity. And he is using Tim Ingold's philosophy yeah. Uh, 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 that um, uh, theory of correspondence, and you know, not many people in IS know about. No although about. he became hugely uh, 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 popular and 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 debated across social sciences uh, in IS, he uh, in Trona is, and uh, and some of his students have used his work, but yeah. not many more than that. So. Julian is, is using uh, Tim Ingold's theory to, to talk about identity. And in a second paper, he's talking about leadership. So we, we agree that, that, that uh, uh, an important sec after he has done the literature review, it has to be a section where he explains Tim Ingold's you know, theory yeah. of correspondence. Yep. Uh, otherwise, people would be totally, you know, lost in what he's talking about afterwards. So it's necessary. The trick is to explain it in simple words, although very often the, the authors use very distinct language. This is how they develop their philosophy because they, they develop a language. Yeah. And And you introduce that language and you introduce this thinking and the assumptions so that you, in some sense do the work of explaining that philosopher, philosophy to the broader audience, which is also an important uh, job, an important task.
0: Yeah, and that, that probably is related also how novel, novel is the theory in the field. For example, if you try right now on post-modernism or, I don't know, uh, Habermas, you don't need to explain it so much now in your paper, because there is a group of people that you have in eyes, field they have understanding, but if you go for theory of correspondence, then you need to explain it much, uh, much broader. So this actually answers yeah. answers how much <laughs> how much the field knows the the, the theory. If it yes. knows it less, then you need to explain more. If you know yes, and w- what about the present now? What what you you we we talked about? But you and from our previous discussions and let's say communication how, how how is the present now from philosophical position what philosophical streams you actually engage now and then we will relate that with uh, the current topics of of research and what the future of of eyes field will be so so you i i have i have the feeling that you are evolving in exploring all the time. Am I in the right direction? <laughs> in a way.
1: Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, sure.
0: uh-huh. yeah.
1: uh, as you may have seen, yes, some of my works, I, I've been uh, working also uh, in, uh, you know, in the domain of socio-material approach or socio-material philosophy, if you want, and uh, more recently in process thinking and process philosophy. So um, uh, I see these developments uh, as um, almost inevitable, you know, uh, given that we, in let's say, in in the twenty-first, you know, century, as at the beginning of twenty-first century, with the technological developments, uh, we were pretty much lost in terms of our ability to explain what is going on you know social constructivism helped us to some degree and when we were talking about the 90s let's say about um, uh, enterprise systems uh, you know developments and uh, you know internet at the time and um we could we could explain a lot of things using you know social constructivist way of thinking but when technology became so much entwined and so much uh, uh, in, uh interacted <laughs> you know in, in in interaction with human beings i'm now using habermas uh, um, uh, i'm using socio material term um uh, when when this became uh so much uh um, difficult to disentangle yeah. socio materiality was proposed as as an approach to deal so it was it was an era you know of you know digitization that needed new explanation and new explanation was offered and that was the socio material worldview which which, uh, first of all, uh, 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 showed that both social human and the material are acting in a a mutually co-created, co-constructed and co-productive ways. So it's not that that technology has agency and is impacting on human beings, which would be technological determinism or human beings have agency and they are impacting on you know and creating technology and using it and interpreting it in their own ways it's actually mutual interaction through which new things are happening yeah and this was the move that was needed for that time and it was necessary to happen almost you know you you see the that with the changing, with, with changing times, we have different needs and different motivations to explore further, you know, uh, in understanding the reality. Yeah. Um, that, that was, uh, for me, a revelation. Uh, when I read Barad first, I was absolutely uh, stunned you know, by by her ways of translating the ideas from physics to social sciences. Yeah. And being an engineer, I understood very well, you know, and having enough education in, in physics, understood very well when she was talking about physics understood how this really made a lot of sense in social sciences. Yes. So uh, it was appealing to me and uh, I somehow, transformed myself you know into somebody who is thinking in a realist way rather than in social constructivist way. Yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, that was a transition that you know took some time but the, 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 the more painful stuff happened when I started applying it. Uh, by the way, I also in the meantime uh, have read a lot about uh, actor network theory. Yeah. and the actor network theory was infused in log developments for 40 years so it was a predecessor to that thinking you know that yeah. that culminated in socio material understanding of the world uh, and to me it somehow gelled so well together including pro, you know uh, practice theory as well that's another interesting background yeah uh so i uh, uh w- when i was uh, you know applying you know socio material thinking in you know empirical research i realized how much richer explanation has become uh, that that i was able to develop and my first paper that i wrote uh, with um, my my former uh, honor student and the colleague uh, was about an information system in an insurance company that was at the same time uh uh considered and became a big success and a failure so it yeah. was it was a system that that um uh became hugely successful in the market where they you know uh with the um, uh, with people that used that that's a very innovative system at the time it was in early uh, ten, uh 2010 uh and uh, and then but management and the steering committee uh, uh, were convinced that the system was a huge failure, so huge success and a huge failure at okay. the same time. Yeah. So you could have said, "Well, that's a socially constructed thing." Yeah. You know, this was socially constructed because certain groups of people had one construction and the others. Was... But then you ask, "Is there anything? Is and is technology has does technology has anything to do with that? Yeah, is it just social construction?" Or is it construction, but yeah. in which you have both the materiality, you have technology and the human beings, and they are inseparably co creating both? Yeah.
0: This and exciting.
1: I showed, yes, and I, I actually used uh, as, a, as a methodology, I used actor network theory. We used actor network theory, and we showed how this happened due to. Uh, breakup of actor networks yep. and this is our explanation how this happened that the success and failure were legitimate you know it legitimately concluded in in both actor networks so so that is um, you know the the development that is um uh, 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 uh that was controversial in some sense because it it broke with the with the classical uh, 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 assumptions of uh entitative and uh, um, essentialist assumptions of the ex- what exists in the world it it made uh, ontological leap you know it it uh, socio material as uh, 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 approach as proposed by vandarkovsky and susan scott and others Uh, including uh, my little contribution to that, uh, that made a, a quantum leap from the assumptions with which we grew up, we all grew up, we are all educated with. And suddenly people have to accept that it's not that the world consists of entities with properties and that these entities interact and just the the some properties change and the essential properties never change. We had to accept the view that of change as essential, and the view that you know the whatever is created is created through relations, and that uh, relations are primary and, and related the secondary. This is what you know, Karen Barad is is talking about. So that was very hard for people to do. And that is where I see one of the current problems in, in information systems, especially, uh, where uh, we see the, the very serious attempts at undermining the basic uh, and the, the fundamental distinction that socio materiality introduced into the you know, philosophical uh, tool set uh, for information system researchers. And, uh, and try to water it down and say, well, basically it's nothing more but socio-technical worldview. And that is detrimental to the thinking uh, uh, in any discipline, you know. I am perfectly happy if, as an editor, if people are saying they are adopting socio-technical worldview, and if you, you can do good things with that, if you can explain phenomena that you are studying, that's fine. But don't, don't claim that this is sociomaterial, material because it's not, because we gave it we gave that name to something else. So that's that's one debate that uh, that you may I'm sure you you know that there is a controversy about the whole issue. And I'm saddened when I'm seeing young researchers who are sending their papers and say, and saying that they want to that they are applying sociomaterial material Uh, uh, approach. And then they are drawing from Orlikovsky, you know, and um, Leonardi, who is claiming completely the opposite (laughs) uh, 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 position, you know, what, uh, what social materiality is actually, you know, undermining the complete uh, idea of, of the philosophy of social materiality. So, and obviously these people are afraid that you know they might get negative implication, negative uh, reaction to their writing because they are not, you know, uh, uh, uh,
0: covering the mainstream, all the mainstream, all
1: the mainstreams. They are not looking into all churches, yeah. and yeah. Uh, 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 and they obviously you know haven't done enough of study to be certain what they are doing,
0: yeah,
1: but you know, so that's. That's something that I find us as a more senior researchers responsible for. I, I find this, you know, uh, I, I find I consider this as my personal responsibility to actually clarify things where they are not clarified enough in whatever kind of uh, uh, role or, or audience I am talking to. So as a, as, a, as an editor, I'm advising, you know, and saying, you have to decide what you are doing. You know, what yep. is your worldview? Yep. You cannot just balance somewhere in the air, which nobody knows where you are. So yep. that's, that's one interesting um, development in, in information system that has huge, I believe, future. And the other parallel and uh, to some extent compatible, uh, you know, to me, at least in my view, very compatible, is the process research process philosophy process metaphysics and this it has another interesting um, um, feature you know and that is that it's not that new and that suddenly we we became in many disciplines we became aware how important it is to understand contemporary world and this is like two and a half millennia old you know line of thought yeah. and now we suddenly realized yes we actually cannot explain the current world and the dynamics in this world with entity to worldview. Yeah. and and you know we need we need to understand the flow we need to understand the dynamics we need to understand temporality and that all is something that since Heraclitus, you know, many many philosophers has co- have contributed to. And interestingly enough, a lot of uh, philosophers uh, who draw and, and were themselves natural uh, uh, sciences researchers, natural scientists, physicists, you know, biologists, and so on. So that's that's another that's another important development uh, in my field, in our field, uh, that um, that is very close to socio-materiality because it is, in essence, all of them are processual. And yeah. whether you say that everything, fun- that the fundamental assumption is that everything is created through relations or that everything is created through process, you know, it's just different ways of saying the same thing in my view. But that's something to write about.
0: (laughs) But what I notice is that there is pluralism, and for example, in uh, in I very often see that ice field is rather plural. Like, it allows to emerge combination. But if you want to publish, you can actually, if you explain it and justify it in, in your work, but you can publish from different philosophical backgrounds and different empirical uh, um let's say um, approaches or events and it it's it's a mixture and I, maybe I, that is why i like ice field is that it allows if you have different opinion in a way to present it and there are outlets where you can actually present it and these in conferences in journals and we can actually concluding it a little bit with your view on pluralism, and because I, I was uh, this you evolve and explore, and that evolve uh, sometimes as you mentioned also could be transformation when you get uh, let's say uh, introduced to new thinking and new views, but what is your thinking about pluralism? Uh, Because sometimes people say, okay, but I use this, it's novel, it's different. Uh, Maybe people don't know. So I don't know, will it be accepted in the field? And what is your experience and your opinion about pluralism and the future, let's say that pluralism from epistemological, from uh, from ontological, from uh, let's say, uh, phenomenonmens that people can uh, explore in the uh, in in ice field
1: i I definitely believe in that our field is, is pluralist in terms of uh, paradigms and justifiably so and uh, and not only our field uh, you know if if any field uh, tries to uh, limit its uh, its paradigm uh, selection or paradigm different or paradigm adoption, I think uh, the field will hurt. You know, the, the The knowledge production will be hurt. So, information systems field in particular, uh, because it's it's not only dealing with social phenomena; it's dealing with with both social and technological, and more increasingly environmental phenomena. Uh, I think we inevitably, you know, have to be open to pluralism. So that's, that's to me, beyond debate. Um, the other thing that I think is actually happening, nilly-willy, is uh, that the, 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 the boundaries between the disciplines are blurring. Um, you can, when you look into organization studies research and management research, and when you, Look into information system research. You see that we we are now having a lot of overlapping topics and uh, views and approaches and uh, and we are drawing from each other more and more, yeah. uh, which to me is beneficial. Uh, I am also against uh, uh, policing the borders uh, between the disciplines, and uh, this is unfortunately something that is um, uh, common in the in academia that we we protect the board, the, the boundaries of our departments uh, but d- disciplines cannot actually survive by you know yeah. by erecting the you know the walls between themselves so and the, and then especially the the complexity and the uncertainty and indeterminacy of the, of the reality that we are observing and studying uh, is uh, all of us are in, yeah. you know, dealing with research in any discipline. Um, we are inevitably drawing from each other's works. Yeah. You know, when, when, you know, I'm currently, for example, uh, doing the research in uh, uh, automated um, algorithmic decision-making and then drawing from any discipline that has any research that has been uh, done in, in the domain of automated decision-making be, be it in sociology or in you know, any, any other yeah. information systems or any other discipline. So um, the proliferation between the discipline will, disciplines will continue. Uh, certain approaches are more open to that than than others. For example, uh, as I mentioned, uh, process approach. Um, process approach is actually was uh, uh, developed uh, originally uh, uh, in in more recent um, uh, times. It was was accepted, uh, adopted, and further developed by natural sciences, especially by physics
0: yeah.
1: of the early 20th century. So uh, 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 it is it is actually showing that in the process thinking the boundaries between the natural and social sciences are not relevant. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and and that was, you know, to me that was also a, a revelation because as when i was a social constructivist you know i remember reading uh, very serious papers that are talking you know we are studying the social world surely our methods and our approaches have to be different from when you study the natural world that was one yeah. of the arguments yeah now when we are you know talking about process philosophy there is no point of making that argument because you can actually draw from you know findings so or, or uh, process reasoning from physics to to talk about the social world, yeah. you know. So uh, I I'm seeing um, the that the, the richness of what we do is 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 growing. You know, the, yeah. the richness of, of our findings will 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 be will be growing the more we allow ourselves. To be, you know, open to different paradigms as well as crossing the, the the boundaries of the
0: disciplines. Well, I think that with this now we are uh, finishing uh, our podcast. And do you want to say something else, or we can we cover the the all the bases in our uh, talk, and we can actually uh, conclude this interesting talk about how we. Uh, evolve and change with time and how we actually get to use our philosophical views in our work and our writings.
1: Well, thank you very much. I I think uh, that was enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a very uh, big pleasure for me talking to you and um, having to talk with somebody who came from these uh, parts of the world and actually get uh, got involved and, let's say, impacted the development of uh, IS, and I'm really honored. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. That was a great pleasure and great honor. Thank you.